down somewhere and grow up. <laughs> we can be more, ladies. We can be more. We can be more, ladies. We can be more. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the rant that me and Thaddeus are going to do now, from now on, monthly. So, we've decided on a bunch of topics. We're going to do a bunch of topics. And we decided to we'll focus on this topic of dating. Yes, dating. Very, very touchy topic. Not really, because it's pretty, pretty, it's pretty laid out pretty firmly in the scriptures. That's it, man. Everybody's doing it, man. It's like the new thing, man. It's like popping like Justin Bieber and whatnot, man. Dating. The infamous topic between a man and a woman, or a boy and a girl. Yes, a boy and a girl, not a boy and a boy, or a girl and a girl. Initiate an according ritual in which the end goal is to get married and to eventually procreate. To the world standard. Dating is something that you, oh, I'm going to find a girl. Oh, she looks good. I'm going to be with her. So I'm going to be with her. I'm going to do all I want because she's my property because I'm dating her. No, that is completely wrong. Dating is a serious topic nowadays because dating nowadays means you hit it and you quit it whenever you feel like, even if you get quote-unquote married, which is just about nothing anymore. I'm just going to read this little tiny verse that can explain what you should be looking for in a in a potential um, part um boyfriend or girlfriend that's what it was anyway this is first corinthians 6 verse 14 through 16 i think yeah 16 do not be bound together with unbelievers or for what partnership have righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness or what harmony has with christ with belial that's like god and satan so yeah or what has a un- has a believer in common with an unbeliever or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For what? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said. I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. I'm going to go into verse 17. Therefore, come out from their midst, separate, says the Lord, says the Lord, that's God, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. So yeah. Do not date unbelievers. That's pretty, pretty, pretty the main guideline when you want to date if you're a Christian. Sometimes I wish, like, you know when you go in, when you're driving, right? And you, and a Jones are asking you for a dollar. And when you're about to give him the dollar, you say, now, nah, hold on, now, nah, this God's money. It's God's money, he you know what you could do with it. And then it's be like, oh, no, boss, no, boss, nah, I don't want this money no more. Sometimes I wish girls and boys would do that. Be like, this is God's child. Oh, no, I want nothing to do with that. Because if I get that, then that means I can do something wrong with it. So I can just leave it alone. See, that would solve a lot of problems. A lot, a lot of problems these days. First of all, men, you little boys, not even men, you little boys out there who think you have a, you're a mom because you got this little girl and you got a little hair on the chin. Get over yourself, buddy. It ain't never that serious. Guys, you don't die from lack of having a girlfriend. It's just not right. You are not a man unless the Bible... You read the Bible and you point out and they see, show you what's the man. That's what the man is. And even so, just because you have a girl on your arm, that means nothing. You're still a little boy who don't know nothing about the world, who needs to find some and get some sense and find his place in the world. That girl is not your property. She is God's property. Don't even go around that foolishness, okay? That's just retarded. Please, don't get confused. And girls, girls, don't fall so easily for the lines these dudes drop on y'all nowadays. If a guy walk up on you and say, Child, please, you're so fine. I want you. I want to hit that. Oh, baby, you're so fine. Ooh, you sexy. I want a piece of that. I want a piece of that. That I want to tap that tonight. 
And even though y'all can say y'all playing and that y'all don't mean nothing by it, of course, y'all still mean something by it because y'all like the attention. Don't fall prey to it. Girls, you don't need to have a male person on your arm to accessorize or to show off or to give you that attention that you owe so long for. You don't, you, nobody dies from lack of having a boyfriend. If a guy ever comes to you like that, this is the translation of, oh, girl, you're so sexy. Let me get what you I want. I want, I want be on you. Oh, am I you so sexy? This is the translation to that. Oh, I don't respect you so much. I, I don't respect you so much. I just hop on you and ask you all these intimate questions, and you can answer them the way I want you to answer them because you ain't got, you don't, you don't think you good enough. You ain't good enough, so I can just take you and I don't respect any of your wishes. I can just take you how you is because you know you ain't worth nothing to me. I just want, I just want some of that piece of your body, and I and I and I straight. See, that's the translation of that. So girls, please pay attention to these guys because a bunch of these guys over there, they stupid. They don't know squat. They retarded. Please. Pay attention. Please get it in your head. And don't forget that, girls. If a boy don't like you, who cares? God like you to create up the, the one who make the little boy who come to talk to you like that. He loves you. The boy only like you. He loves you. Get Please get that in your skulls because if you don't get that, you're in danger. Please pay attention, girls. And guys, be careful of these girls nowadays who go around looking for this attention. We know some of you guys today just want to be a nice guy. I want us to give... That girl, the attention she oh so desperately seems to need. Or you want that girl, you know, you can hit that up tonight, you know, get your quick fix, get your quick fix. Don't, don't fall for that because that will get you into problems. This verse is talking about being unequally yoked. Pull up your pants. Stop wearing them, figuratively speaking, metaphorically speaking, Spider-Man jockeys. I'm put on some Joe Boxers or somebody. Some of y'all think it's gangsta to show you back. On behalf of real men, we ain't feeling that. We don't understand, man, cause the shocks up. Can you make us understand why you show your boxers? But if you stand up straight, bet your pants fall. Might as well walk around with your pants off. I know what y'all into. Go around talking to these girls like they're a bunch of as a piece of meat or something. Please get with it. Get some sense. Put some in your head. Read the Bible. Get in the Word. Stay focused on God. If you stay focused on God, God will bring a woman to you. Don't work about no going for comfort zone woman because I because you need to, you need to fulfill this desire inside you. You know that's like your hormone speaking. We don't even get the type of desires y'all want to do. Two things you need to remember. If you're a believer. There should be. You have no excuse to date a non-believer because a non-believer will get you in problems. I mean, you wouldn't date a Muslim, you wouldn't date a Buddhist, you wouldn't um, date a ancient age theorist, so why would you date a non-believer? I know it's, it might seem easy, like you could just hit it and quit it, and then eventually you're just going to want more and more and more and more and more, until eventually you just die wanting more. So yeah, just be careful with that. Just unequally yoked. It's the very, it, I mean, it applies to dating, it applies to marriage, most importantly. See God. And the end goal is marriage. Always have marriage in mind when you want to enter a relationship with the opposite sex. Seek God and think about the end goal of marriage. And all of this, just think about how you bring more glory to God. And we bring glory to God by following His commandments and following His commandments and doing His will. Once we do that, we straight. That means following what He has set for marriage. Following what He has set for being in relationship with the opposite sex. Follow that, and you're good to go. Okay? So, 
Thank you guys for that wonderful, wonderful time you've given us to speak to you. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for bringing us here tonight to study your word, to be with friends. God, please guide the, the words of my mouth and let them match up with the thoughts on your mind. Please keep us and let the words inspire us to do your will. In your name I pray. Amen. All right. Well, guys, um, I don't know if I should tell you this, but there are two people in here who I saw in court um, about two weeks ago. Uh, they're both Cartwrights. Uh, one is Carrie and one is Deandra. Uh, it's a, it seems like it was some sort of traffic incident, but they went down to the magistrate court with um, magistrate Gomez, and apparently Deandra, uh, you all know her and love her, um, was driving down Bay Street at about 55 miles per hour, um, super fast. And Ambrose, some of you know Ambrose, pulled her over. I said, hey, you know, what, what are you doing? Now, he knows that she goes to the church. He just knew she was a Cartwright. Um, so Deandra said her name was Carrie Cartwright, um, you know, and pretended kind of like, you know, she was Carrie. Um, so on the way home, she ran a, another red light, and she used Carrie's name again. So Carrie was very upset. Um, so Carrie, being the good Christian that she was, she said, you know what? I'm going to pay the tickets, you know, uh, for Deandra. And she went to court and paid them. But Deandra, uh, apparently very cheap, stingy, didn't, didn't want to pay her back. So uh, that's why they were in the magistrate's court. So when the judge asked Deandra why she didn't want to pay, she said, well, because, you know, their family, you know, family of God, uh, she thought that Carrie would have it covered. Uh, now, if you guys were the jury, do you think Deandra is guilty or innocent or Guilty. Okay, off with her head type of thing. All right. Oh, she's hiding. Bailiff, someone grabbed the anger. But uh, Israel was in a similar situation uh, with God where they are guilty of sin. And they, were, they didn't realize it, didn't want to acknowledge it. Uh, so tonight I'm going to be talking about Hosea chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 14. Uh, just to give you a little background, back when Solomon was king, as he ended his life, uh, as his life was coming to an end, his wives had led him astray from following the one true God. Uh, I think he served Asherim and some of the other Canaanite gods. Uh, so as he died, God actually told him, I'm going to take the kingdom from your son. Not the entire kingdom. I'm going to leave him a remnant, just a small part. And that kingdom became the kingdom of Judah. But he took the majority of the kingdom, the original, I think, ten tribes formed the kingdom of Israel. And when they formed the, ten, the kingdom of Israel, they were led by Jeroboam. Initially, Jeroboam started off as a good king, but he led the people into idolatry. The same thing that Solomon was doing initially. So we're just going to follow uh, Hosea, and Hosea was a prophet to the kingdom of Israel. And we're just going to go and do a little quick exposition of the text and what it can mean to us today. Uh, so I think it's up or coming up soon, Isaiah chapter 4, verses 1 through 14. I'll just read it uh, through and pause to give you the Drew Wendley Fowler paraphrase. You know, uh, beginning in verse 1. Listen to the word of the Lord, O sons of Israel. 
For the Lord has a case against the inhabitants of the land, because there is no faithfulness or kindness or knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, deception, murder, stealing, and adultery. They employ violence so that bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore the land mourns, and everyone who lives in it languishes, along with the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky, and also the fish of the sea disappear. Now initially in these first three verses, you see in verse 1, God is actually listing uh, the lawsuit, uh, the reason why he's upset with them. So the paraphrase would be, hey, pay attention, Israel. God has a lawsuit against you because there is no faithfulness, kindness, or knowledge of God in the land. And verse 2 lists some of the charges against Israel. There's swearing or taking an oath before God, deception, stealing, murder, and violence, and adultery. And these are characteristics of a society that lacks the faithfulness or kindness or knowledge of God in the land. And I think today, today is, I think is 114 murders in, in the country. So I see some similarities in terms of our country and how Israel was back then, uh, of a society that doesn't know God. Verse 3 lists some of the effects on society itself. It says the land cries out. The people and even, <clears throat> and even the animals are living in decay or living in misery. Verse 4. Yet let no one find fault, and let none offer reproof. For your people are like those who contend with the priests. So you will stumble by day, and the prophet will also stumble with you by night, and I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I will also reject you from being my priests. Since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. Verse 4, paraphrase. It says, don't point fingers or try to pass the blame. Because you are the people... You are like the people who try to blatantly rebel against all legal authority. This is a reference to uh, Deuteronomy 17:2 or 12, when God gave a command saying, Anyone arrogant enough to reject the verdict of a judge or priest who represents the Lord God must die. In this way you will purge evil from the land. Verse 5 lists the destruction that's going to come to Israel. First he says that you're going to fall or you're going to stumble, and the prophets, or I guess false prophets, will stumble with you. And I will destroy Israel, who is referred to as the mother. This verse teaches that as a result of rebellion against God, you were going to fail. God does not tolerate rebellion. Verse 6 says the reason they're being destroyed is for a lack of knowledge. That's the people. That's because the priests or the believers rejected knowledge. So I reject you, the priests, from being my representatives. And because you priests have disregarded the law, I will disregard your children. Now, initially, if you read that, that might sound harsh. Like, why would God pick on the, you know, the children? Why would he, you know, do this to these innocent kids? But the word children here is uh, bane. It's spelled B-E-N in English, but it's a Hebrew word, and it implies a son or a child as a builder of the family name. So it implies legacy, meaning that the children would follow in the footsteps of the priests. So the priests are rejecting God. The children also would reject God in their lives as well. Verse 7, the more they multiplied, the more they sinned against me. I will change their glory into shame. They feed on the sin of my people and direct their desire toward their iniquity. And it will be like people, like priests. So I will punish them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. They will eat and not have enough. They will play the harlot but not increase because they have stopped giving heed to the Lord. The paraphrase would be, the more the priests there are, the more the people have sinned against me, and I will shame them. 
The priests thrive on the sin of the people of Israel and encourage them to continue sinning. So consequently, the people will follow in the footsteps of the priests or following the example that the priests have set for them. So he says, I will punish them for their wickedness. This should be an indication to us as believers and ambassadors or representatives of Christ of how we should live our lives in the world. In verse 10 it says, the paraphrase of course, they'll eat but never be satisfied. They'll continue to prostitute themselves but they won't gain anything because they've stopped listening to the Lord. You ever wonder sometimes like why you eat? You can answer the question. You can talk back. Why, why do you eat? You're hungry, and what is the purpose of eating? What does it do for you? Nutrition, and what else? Energy, you know, fulfillment. All right, so the purpose of eating, so when you see God here mentioning they will eat and not be satisfied, they're going to eat, but they won't be sustained. Um, the prostitute, the idea of a prostitute uh, is someone who gets some sort of compensation, normally financial compensation for whatever act she does or he does. Um, this, this teaches that ultimately all fulfillment comes from God. Uh, so despite any attempts that we try to make in our lives, whether if we you know, try to make a lot of money, we won't necessarily be fulfilled in and of itself apart from God. Verse 11 says, Harlotry, wine, and new wine, take away understanding. My people consult their wooden idol, and their diviner's wand informs them. For a spirit of harlotry has led them astray, and they have played the harlot, departing from their God. Verse 13, well, verse 11 and 12, basically says, Whoredom and alcohol rob people of all their common sense. I'm sure you've seen some of the Juntas, you know, in Nassau walking around stumbling. Uh, it goes on to say, My people actually think that a piece of wood will tell them what to do, or they sincerely believe a stick or crystal ball will tell them the future. It says, Israel's whorish nature has tricked them and led them away from me. Verses 13 and 14. They offer sacrifices on top of mountains and burn incense on the hills, under oak, poplar, and terebinth, because their shade is pleasant. Therefore, your daughters play the harlot, and your brides commit adultery. I will not punish your daughters when they play the harlot, or your brides when they commit adultery. For the men themselves go apart with the harlots and offer sacrifices with temple prostitutes. So the people, without understanding, are ruined. Back in Deuteronomy, uh, when God was giving them the land, he gave them some clear instructions on what to do with idolatry. Deuteronomy 12, verses 2 through 3 says, The nations that live there worship other gods, there being Israel. You must completely destroy all the places where all the, the people of the nations worship their God. These places are on high mountains, on hills, and under the shade of large trees. You must smash their altars and break their memorial stones into pieces. You must burn their Asherah poles and cut down their statues of God, of their gods. Wipe out everything that would remind you of their gods. And then 2 Kings 17 verses 10 and 11, which is probably more uh, in time with the, with the passage going on here, says, For they set themselves sacred pillars and ashram on every hill and under every tree. And they burned incense on high places as the nations did before them, which the Lord had put into exile. In 1 Kings 14.24, it says that even, though, that even though there were prostitute shrines throughout the land, and the people of Israel imitated the detestable practices of the pagan nations that were in the land previously. Now, overall, this, this passage is talking about idolatry and harlotry or prostitution. Um, and you may be wondering, well, why would the people of Israel do this? Idolatry, especially for their mindset, had some sort of gain. Uh, there's always some sort of I guess, appeal 
of idolatry. Uh, just, these are just three that I, that I found. People don't want to answer to God, um, so they want to f- fit religion in with their lifestyle. They don't want to change their lifestyle to match a belief system. Uh, there's pleasure, where people deify pleasure-seeking at all costs. Pleasure comes first. Everything else is second. And praise or popularity. Success is a reward to be pursued. And sacrifice is shunned. Something that just doesn't make sense. So sacrifice is seen as, oh, come on, why would, why would you sacrifice? Just do it now. We live for the moment type of thing. Now you might say, come on, Drew. Um, I, I don't bow down to any idols. You know, I don't worship a piece of wood or any, you know, any living thing around. But I think idolatry is even more widespread in our society today than it was back then. Uh, it's just incognito. And I wanted to talk tonight about one idol in particular, especially for me, uh, that would be feelings. Dr. Sue Bolin uh, from Probe Ministries explained how society portrays feelings as the inerrant internal compass that points toward truth and reality. At least that's how we treat it, as if our feelings are always right. So sometimes you might hear people say, um, follow your heart. Not that it's always bad to follow your heart, but follow your heart. Or what does your gut say? As if your feelings all the time are always right and will always direct you toward the truth or how to live rightly. Think about uh, kids in your schools. Uh, I know when I was in SAC, some kids duck class, even college and uh, stuff like that, people duck class. And you'd ask, hey, why didn't you show up? But yeah, I feel like going. You know, it's their feeling. And these same kids are going to grow up one day and they're going to be adults, going to go to work, and they're going to say, hey, look, I don't want to go to work today. I don't, I don't feel like going. They're paying me enough for this job. You know, that, that attitude continues, but it's their feeling that motivates them. Like, I feel like I, you know, don't want to go, so I, I'm not going. It's my will be done type of, type of attitude. Or dressing and acting a certain way for acceptance of our peers makes us feel accepted or we feel popular. Uh, like feeling again comes into play as the most important thing. Or being attracted to the wrong type of person, you know, it's okay. For example, you know, some people like, um, what's this movie out now, Twilight. Um, you know, I'm on Team Jacob. Woo. But, you know, you might be attracted to the wrong, the wrong person. Um, but, you know, it's okay because you feel butterflies and you feel magical and, oh, you know, oh, oh, you don't, you don't have that feeling. Oh, no. Anyway, you know, boys have cooties. Right? Uh, but people, you know, they, they'll make excuses for themselves. Uh, I think Thaddeus and Craig hit on it in their video. People say, look, hey, that girl looks so good. You know, I like her so much. It's just a, a feeling. There's no, uh, there's no real thought in, in terms of, is this person really right for me? My feelings dictate my life. Uh, you can think about bodily appetites for sweets. Uh, my mom has that. She loves candies and sweets. Or drinks. Non-alcoholic guys. Right. Drinks. Uh, overeating in foods. That's me. I, I like frosted flake cereal. Or sexual pleasure. And all, all the reason is is because the bodily appetite, hey, I want it, I feel it. I, I feel like I need some candy bar, you know, um, or I feel like I want that bowl of Frosted Flakes, which, you know, I do every every day. Uh, or people who are engaged in sexual activities, they want, hey, I need to have this feeling of sexual intimacy. And I think sometimes we're addicted to our comfort. Uh, we believe that as we act or we believe that an act as a feeling good or comfortable is a basic human right. We don't do it because we, we don't do what we do. We, we don't do what we should because we don't feel comfortable. 
So feelings then get deified and God is replaced. So feelings becomes our new God. My feelings come first. That's what I'm going to serve. I will do everything to satisfy my feelings. And we emphasize the present or the immediate. Dr. Sue Poland uh, gave a good quote on it. She says, when we recalibrate our focus to include the unseen sphere of life, we are aware of the spiritual dimension of life, not just the physical. It makes us more balanced people. We can put feelings in their place. They're like lights on a dashboard on a car, indicating what's going on under the hood. But if we focus on the dashboard lights while we're driving, instead of the road, we run off the road, or worse, you know, we'll crash. We can acknowledge our feelings, but refuse to let them lead us. So you may say, Drew, well, how, how do we do that? How do we, you know, put feelings in its place? I think God gave us a very good example in Jesus Christ. Hebrews 12:2 says, that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. If you notice, Jesus' focus was on the joy set before him and not the immediate shame of the cross. So Jesus had an eternal view. Even though he didn't feel like going to the cross, he went through it anyway. He thought of the big picture, as it were. Uh, so I want you to think of today as almost like your day in court. Hosea chapter 4 kind of gives you all the the charges you know that a lot of us are guilty of i know i am um idolatry adultery um prostituting myself before god and you might say well that's very extreme but that's how god sees it back here god sees israel as his bride as someone he loves but when they engage in idolatry and worship other gods um he doesn't just see it as idolatry he sees it as adultery as almost like you're cheating on god uh, I, I think Jennifer Lopez and um, what's the guy's name? Mark Anthony, they broke up. Uh, Ashton Kutcher and Demi Moore, I think Ashton cheated or something something like that. You know, imagine how that person must feel. Or imagine if you had a boyfriend or girlfriend and they cheat on you. And they tell you, hey, you know, I, I still love you, but, you know, he's, he's so cute. You know, he has great muscles and blah, blah, blah. That's how God feels sometimes when we put things before him. Uh, so for me, when I studied this passage, it's very convicting because... Uh, Sometimes I don't even think about my feelings as an idol and me giving in to my feelings as adultery, you know, shunning God, like God, you know, screw you kind of thing. Uh, but I, I want us to take comfort in the fact that even though we are sometimes guilty of idolatry or adultery against God as Christians, God says in Romans 8, 33, verses 30, 8, chapter 8, verses 33 through 34 in the NIV, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is always interceding for us. So if you picture yourself in a courtroom setting and the charges, you know, Drew, Michelo, Wendley, Carrie, Donna, you're guilty of idolatry or adultery um, against me. Uh, you know that you're guilty. At least sometimes you are. You have Jesus always interceding for you. So he's your advocate. I don't think you could have a better advocate than, than Jesus himself. So there's Jesus standing there with you saying, hey, you know, God, take it easy on him, that type of thing. And the only reason, and well, the only thing God really wants us to do is acknowledge that we're wrong. I kind of skipped ahead of Hosea. I'm not finished the whole book yet. Um, but in Hosea 14, just going to read the first, I think, three verses of it for you it says return O Israel to the Lord your God I guess you can probably put your name there return O Drew 
to the Lord your God, for you stumbled because of your iniquity. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity and receive me graciously, that we may present the fruit of my lips. Assyria will not save me. I will not ride on horses, nor will I say again, our God, to the work of my hands or the feelings of my heart. For in you, even the orphan finds mercy. So that's my challenge to you tonight. Uh, let's put God first in our lives. Let's be faithful to him. Uh, and let's not make him, let's not try to usurp his throne and put our feelings or our wants there instead. Uh, that's it. So thank you very much, guys.